I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everybody. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so, so thrilled to have my next guest here. We have Caitlin Magentel, who is the founder and CEO of Pulp Pantry. And if you have not heard of this product or tried this product, this is an absolute must. So I am so inspired by Caitlin. I was introduced to her product. I had actually seen it on the shelf, but I was introduced to her product by our mutual friend, Diana Cap. And Caitlin was recently part of Diana's book. And I read a little bit more about why she actually created Pulp Pantry. And I was dying to have her come on and really share her story and her journey. So Caitlin learned about the food waste that goes on in the world and was inspired to actually fight the problem that she saw in front of her. So 40% of food that goes to waste in the U.S., she really thought that there was an opportunity there to do something with it. I always like to think about the word waste. We'll we'll talk more I about know. that. I know. We'll talk more about that, <laughs> Kate. Yeah, because it's like the extras or something. We're, yeah. we're going to create a new word for it. So, but anyway, she created <laughs> pulp pantry snacks made from these overlooked uh, vegetable byproducts like the organic juice pulp. And she's with us here today to share a lot more about why she did it and her journey, et cetera. And she is just such a determined, mission-driven entrepreneur with an incredible story. You're all going to love, love hearing from her. And uh, without further ado, welcome, Caitlin. Thank you, Kara, for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, really, really excited. So let's start at the beginning. I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit more about the company. What is Pulp Pantry? Just like you said, I mean, same thing here. I always have a problem with the word waste because truly what we're looking at and what we're tackling is, I would say, the overlooked resources of our food system. And and like you mentioned, 40% of food in the United States goes to waste. What was really astounding to me when I was really going deeper into my research on um, you know, the climate crisis and how food waste plays a part in that, I realized that actually most of the the, the food that we waste is fresh produce. And it's about 34% of the total volume of uh, food waste. And on the flip side of that problem, nine in 10 Americans don't get their servings of fruits, vegetables, or fiber. And we all know there was a study by the Union of Concerned Scientists that I had read early in my days that basically said, if we were all to eat our daily servings of fruits, vegetables, and fiber, we'd save hundreds of thousands of lives and billions in medical costs, essentially annually um, in the United States. And so for me, it was really about wanting to create a business that that really bridged the gap between these two super disparate issues, which is obviously nutritious food that's, you know, often overlooked. And at the same time, 
how do we get more fruits, vegetables, and fiber into the American diet to, to lead to better health outcomes for all? And, you know, I think as your journey with Hint, our food system, there's so much that needs to be, I think, reinvented or reworked. Because, um, you know, when I look at packaged food aisles, particularly, I was really struck the, the first category that we are innovating in, which is veggie chips. I was struck to see that most veggie chips that are, you know, these national brands are the same exact ingredients, which is just potato starch or dried potato flakes with a sprinkle of vegetable powder. And so really, I felt like, how do we use upcycled foods and this kind of, you know, these nutritious byproducts that are coming out of, let's say, the cold pressed juice industry or really any value added um, vegetable processor? And how do we use those resources to make a real veggie chip that actually provides a meaningful amount of nutrition? So we have a bag of chips now that's almost a full day serving of fiber. And that's really where, um, you know, our first product line came came into being. So it's been a fun journey to get to that point even. So it's one thing for you to learn about this problem. It's another thing for you to actually go develop a product and a company around it. I mean, it's kudos to you, but also, I mean, it's incredibly hard. I have so many questions about it. But first of all, obviously, you were interested in the upcycle topic in general and sort of the need to try and help and do what was right for climate change. But also, where do you start with going and getting this extra product, this the extra carrots, all of that? Like, how did you learn about this? Yeah. I mean, honestly, my journey was super messy to figure out the right sourcing partners because a lot of what we were doing had never been done before. And I remember back in my early days, like right at the beginning, literally before, you know, creating a commercial product that, you know, is packaged and looks all pretty on shelf. I went to Target and bought not even food safe bins. And I went to my local juicer and I was like, hey, can you just fill up a couple of bins of this pulp that you're usually wasting? You know, the beginnings were super janky. We It was just like, it was kind of figuring out how, what does this sourcing model look like? But honestly, Kara, like, I mean, the way that we really built this up into like a full-fledged sourcing system was I went to a couple trade shows and I talk to really the fresh produce. You know, I talked to Suja, I talked to Evolution Fresh, I talked to these brands that had built up a national really brand. And I asked them, what are you doing with your pulp? And I realized that most of them, this is a big pain point. They're, you know, for them, this is a cost center for them to to send their byproduct, which is oftentimes 15 to 50% of the organic produce that they source that's going to waste in the fiber that's left behind. And so for them, now they're not only paying for organic produce, but they're also paying to dispose of that fiber in a in hopefully a more sustainable way. And it becomes a cost center. So for them, they were really excited about working with an emerging brand that had a concept that was really building win-win solutions for how do we help you save on costs? And so you're not sending stuff to compost or to animal feed or to landfills, right? Um, and instead, you know, we can do something really valuable with it and and hopefully in return, you know, there's a, a sustainability story to tell there too. So um, for us, you know, the the sourcing piece of it was really interesting. And it was definitely working a lot alongside our partners to develop what that could look like in their manufacturing practice, because they hadn't really developed a way to handle the, that, those produce items in a way that was food safe, and obviously could then in return, create value added products like what we're doing now. So we we really created that process from scratch, but it was a long, messy journey. And, um, you know, of course, creating a product 
that we, you know, can now sell on grocery shelves, even working with co-packers was a really messy journey. And, you know, before even starting the veggie chip line, we had a line of cereals that were made from carrots, actually. It was, it was, um, we called it, this is not granola. And it was like a a carrot-based cereal, literally like 60% carrot-based. It was the main ingredient, of course. And we shopped around for co-manufacturers and nobody would touch fresh ingredients. They were like, we touch you know, we use flowers, we use maybe nuts or seeds, and we use oil and we use sugar, and that's it. And so I faced a lot of challenges trying to commercialize a product line in this space because it just hadn't been done before. And most manufacturers were like, we just don't want to touch fresh produce and kind of the the extra cost that really comes with handling fresh produce. So that's really why we made the pivot ultimately into the veggie chip category as another opportunity where maybe we would have a little bit more flexibility there too. So interesting. That's what I was going to ask you. How did you decide to land on chips ultimately? So how did you find your first co-packer to actually do chips? I reached out to probably 50 co-packers, you know, just like searching, searching, searching on every database or, you know, like I just did so much research and, and built up this list and reached out to a bunch, had a ton of meetings, probably out of the 10 meetings that I had, only two of them were really, really willing to give it a shot with fresh produce. And, you know, of course, we selected one partner that was very innovative and just kind of innovation focused. And we've been really happy working with them since. But it's hard when you're an emerging brand and you don't have distribution built up. I think a lot of a lot of co-packers obviously don't want to take a chance on you. It's it's risky for them. Um, But now, you know, that we've built up some more distribution, we're actually looking at building out, you know, more manufacturing capabilities on the in the Midwest and on the East Coast, because everywhere in the United States, essentially, there are sourcing partners that need help. And we get excited about kind of that idea of how do we reduce the the footprint of kind of the miles that a product travels. And so, you know, if we launch on the East Coast, how can we manufacture and source on the East Coast to keep things really local. And so it's kind of fun to, you know, go about that manufacturing journey now that we've um, built up a little bit more of a, a reputation and distribution too. I always equate the journey of an entrepreneur with a puzzle builder, because as I hear you talking about how you ultimately did it, I mean, you didn't have all of the answers. You just kept trying, right? You kept trying to piece things together. And certainly in thinking back in the early days of starting Hint, I mean, we were trying to produce a product that didn't have preservatives in it. And every one of the co-packers, the bottlers was saying to us, that can't be done. And I kept asking why. And eventually somebody decided that, okay, well, I don't know the answer to this, so maybe Mm -hmm. I'll try it and I'll play around with things. And, And we did a lot of work in our kitchen to try and show why it could be done. But it's like an it's an experiment. And I think that that is the life of an entrepreneur, especially when you're doing something totally new, creating a new category. But did you feel like people just didn't believe you or didn't really weren't jumping into your vision? Like, it's too hard. Can't take the time to do this. You're you know, too young, you've too inexperienced. They were trying to size you up. I mean, I smile because I was exactly the same way that they were sizing me up that I had been in tech. I hadn't been in CPG. So therefore I wasn't going to be able to figure it out. 
but I, I'm so curious to hear your story. Totally. And I think it was, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, this was already such a funky idea to begin with and such a kind of, people were like, what, you know, upcycling wasn't even really in the lexicon. I feel like at that point when we started, which was, I mean, I started the co-packing search probably in like 2019. Um, and it just wasn't something that was a common phrase or idea, especially in food. Like maybe it had made its way in fashion, but food wasn't super, you know, we didn't have um, a lot of people talking about upcycling. And so, yeah, it was just interesting because I felt like a lot of the time on the other side of the table, obviously you're talking, it's a very male dominated industry still. And I think I hear a lot of founders say this, where it's like, you think that the food industry is going to be very like female focused. And I think along among founders, yes, I have so many female founder friends in this space, but when it comes to the manufacturers or the buyers or the distributors, like a lot of the time it feels that, you know, it, you are still coming up against the barriers of just like, I am a young woman. Yeah. And I'm talking to people and partners that, that I'm, you know, going to rely on that are maybe not in the same mindset that I am as a, as kind of a, a, a entrepreneur trying to innovate in the space. And it feels like a lot of the time, I don't know if you have this experience, but it feels like a lot of times, sometimes food, the food business can be very like business as usual. And people just want to do things the way they've been done before. And especially when it comes to like your experience using preservatives in, I mean, the, people are just used to doing things a certain way. And it's hard to get people to step out of their comfort zone because to them, they just automatically think, oh my gosh, the R&D process, the added costs, the, you know, training my staff on a new way of doing things. Like there's a lot that goes into it. And so I feel like it's really, really hard to push, especially like in the co-packing space, it's really, really hard to push manufacturers to think differently and work with you on new products, which is probably why ultimately, you know, so many brands that are really innovating, like I think in the plant-based meat alternative space, they, a lot of them do build their own production facilities because it is really hard to just figure out how to make things differently with when you're trying to use the same kind of old school way of doing business. So I definitely feel like that was a big challenge. Definitely. What year did you start? I So I graduated from college 2015. I did this something called the John Muir Trail, which was a three-week back country backpacking trip, you know, where you're getting your food dropped on horses, like up in the mountains. And, and I kind of had this idea for Pulp Pantry already. I had presented it as a final project in, in a nonprofits class that I was in. And, you know, I had a lot of professors that were like really trying to encourage me to, to build this into an actual full-fledged business. They were like, I, they were like, we see something in this got my first grant from the university. And so ultimately when I got back from this backpacking trip, I had that three weeks where I was teetering between, do I go get a job? Do I start my company? Like, do I start this business? And obviously the fear of just jumping in head first is something that, um, you know, especially when you're, you realize entrepreneurship, it's like one of the most scary things. Cause you're literally, it's like the skin of your teeth and you can make it successful by just perseverance, but you got, you also know how long it takes to make something a success. And so going into it, I didn't, I was obviously naive to what that would actually look like, but I just knew I was like, oh my God, this is a lot to, to kind of jump in head first to something. I don't know anything about what, what I'm doing. And what I, what ultimately happened was going on that trip. I had that aha moment where I was like, I'm young. I'm, you know, hungry to learn. I don't have a family I need to support right now. Like this is the perfect time for me to do this. And so I just jumped in head first, got my business incorporation documents, probably the the winter of um, 2015. And it wasn't really until I was working part-time while doing farmer's markets. I had my cottage food license. So I truly started in farmer's markets 
with like a home kitchen permit, you know, truly did not know what I was doing, working part time three to four days of the week. And finally, in 2018, I jumped in full time to the business. I, you know, realized, okay, you know, farmers markets, people are really excited about this idea. And how do I now turn this into a brand that has like a national brand, like can be a national brand and be something found in mainstream conventional grocery, as well as, you know, the natural grocers that, um, you know, we work with today. And so it was, it was this long process of really getting there, but ultimately what, you know, what really got me started in, in kind of creating the package product that we have on shelves today was in 2019, participating in the target incubator where I moved to Minnesota for four months Amazing. and developed the pulp chips line with the target team. Oh, wow. And that was the resources that we really needed to just get it out there and get started. And then, you know, November 2019 launched the pulp chips, which is really that first package product that we had. And since then have just been rolling into it. Of course, not great timing to launch a brand, right? Right before the mm-hmm. pandemic, but but we've made it work and um, and it's been just a wild ride since. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that program. So it, so the Target program. Yeah. So how did you connect with them then? Man, I mean, you know, I we applied in, I think it was in 2018, got accepted sometime in, in January to go out to Minnesota in June. And I think there's so many resources like that. There's so many corporates now that are hosting. We had already done like a program called the Natural Launchpad through Burt's Bees, which came with a, I think it was a $20,000 grant. And that was really how I funded my business, you know, up until that point, I was always just taking these little grant opportunities or pitch competition opportunities. Um, And so Target Incubator came across through my network. We, you know, we applied, we went to Minnesota for our interviews and whatnot. It was the first year they did this um, incubator program. So we're really that kind of flagship class. And I've just seen that now there are so many other um, brands that and, and retailers that are doing things like this. And I think it's so valuable for entrepreneurs just start, starting out because ultimately you're getting access to subject matter experts who have built product lines within these retailers or potentially, you know, it's on the brand side too, and can really help to jumpstart a couple of the steps. You know, my, my, through the Target Incubator program, I learned how to work with co-packers. I learned what my, what my costing should look like. I learned about you know, how to work with distributors. And so I feel like there were a lot of things that I learned through that program, as well as through, for example, the business classes that we that are um, before Expo West or before the fancy food show, where you just really learn the tricks of the trade and hopefully build a network of mentors who can really help guide the journey and answer your questions along the way. So I definitely like, I always encourage people now to just look for the resources that are out there because it can really help to just you know, jumpstart a couple of the obstacles that you might you might come across when you're building your brand. That's incredible. I know we've talked to a few people. General Mills has one as well. Yeah. Uh, we've yeah. talked to a few people from some of the different programs, and then um, I think Procter and Gamble has one as and Unilever. So there's a lot of them out there, but I think it's an incredible thing. How many others were part of that program when you were doing it? I think we had they had you know maybe. 400 to 500 applicants. And I want to say there were about eight to 10 brands that ultimately participated. So we all were working in the same office space in Minnesota, which was also a really cool experience Fun um, to work alongside peers. Yeah. 
Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. And Chobani, I know we've had a few people from Chobani's program too. So that's a really good one. I've applied for that. I I used to, I had applied for that one for like three years in a row, never got in. So, so you know, some, okay. will, some will work out, some won't. And obviously I think it's just whatever you can participate in. I mean, just soaking in that knowledge and being a sponge. I mean, I learned so much. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, really grateful for that experience. Yeah. Attention female business owners feel like you're struggling to find the balance between growing your company and keeping your sanity. Yes, it's not as uncommon as you may think. What you need is time away from the day-to-day grind of running your business so you can really think about that next phase and new ways. Plus, have some fun. It's time to work on your business instead of in your business. Have I got a great suggestion for you? A getaway where you can focus on you and your business, whether you have a current business or are still trying to figure out one. Listen up. It's the Brim's fourth annual retreat. You may have heard of the Brim, and if you haven't, you need to know about it. And this retreat is the perfect opportunity to set you on that path for growth. From April 30 through May 3rd, 2023, join 150 other female business owners and founders for an incredible three-day event in Austin. Led by business expert Sally Holder, this retreat will help you scale your business. Enjoy a jam-packed few days at the beautiful proper hotel where you will be connecting and learning from others who are in your situation or people who have been in your shoes with plenty of time to network. You will hear from inspiring speakers and there will be some incredible VIP experiences too, including a dinner curated by Food Network star Ali Khan and a private happy hour in Willie Nelson's recording studio. If you're ready for something radically different that will set you on the path to growth, this event is for you. Visit www.growwiththebrim.com to learn more and get registered. Hurry, though, as this event is sure to sell out and you don't want to miss out. Again, that's www.growwiththebrim.com www.growwiththebrim.com to register now. So one of the things that you and I were chatting about before we actually hit record was the challenge, I think, for for entrepreneurs, especially when you're starting an entirely new category where there's all this education. You start with a mission and a purpose and a reason for doing something, and then you've got to get into the nitty gritty of how do I make this product? How do I, Mm -hmm. what does the packaging look like? All of these things. And then- you kind of at some point go back to the story and start to share your why, not only with buyers, you've been sharing it with buyers, obviously, in order to get on the shelf, but with the Mm -hmm. consumer. How hard has that been to really get consumers to understand what is upcycle, what is the importance of it? How much of that story is, is part of of the brand. I mean, I, I believe you have to have a brand, a product, I should say, that tastes great, but I think mm-hmm. it's also, it's like this yo-yo or, uh, yeah. or yang and yang. I don't know what, what the exact saying is that you've got to sort of find that balance. 
I think there's so many cool things happening in this upcycled space. Like if you look at TikTok or even Instagram, there are influencers that have amassed a major following just talking about zero waste living, fighting food waste with recipes. And of course, in the fashion industry, the upcycling became such a big trend, like Stella McCartney doing a whole line of upcycled products. Adidas talking about upcycled materials and fabrics. And so I really love to pull in those kind of at least influences from popular culture to, and hopefully bring that. I mean, this is not something I'm not doing a good job of today because we're such a small team. And obviously your bandwidth is only as big as it, as it can be, but working really collaboratively with influencers that are already preaching kind of this gospel about don't like, let's, let's, we need to, we need to develop a more conscientious consumerism model really. And um, I think what I love about building a brand truly is Brands are the currency in a consumer culture in a lot of ways. And if you think about it, like I came, I really was raised in this nonprofits and si- the world of like science, nonprofits, advocacy. And what was so frustrating, I remember at an internship one year for Environment California, they had me standing out on the corner holding a honk if you love solar poster yeah. and collecting petition signatures. And I was like, there has to be a better way to spread you know, advocacy and get people like active in kind of fighting for something like bringing more access to solar, um, you know, in our in our power grid. And it was just really interesting, because I feel like when you look at the flip side of it, which is building a business that mission is really ingrained in your business. I mean, the marketing tools that we have as businesses, the, you know, we can grow our revenue grows, our brands, you know, awareness grows, and we can actually use that for real good also. And so I think like not having the restrictions of grants and some of the other things that nonprofits are bound to. What I see for Pool Pantry was that gets me really excited is there is this growing audience of people who really care about being more conscientious about what they consume and you know how to make it a little bit more in line with their values. I think especially with regards to sustainability. And so let's tap into that audience and let's also spread the mission and the message that you know, as consumers, we do have a daily choice. We're voting with our dollars. How can Pull Pantry help educate and empower people to make responsible choices that really match their value system? And so I'm really hoping that, you know, we can help be a part of what's guiding the consumer conversation in that way. And I think that's really the power of building a brand. So it's definitely something I get really excited about is just upcycling might be somewhat new to a lot of people, but there's also just you know, this history behind back in the days of like, especially the depression era, where people were forced to do things like this and be a little bit more industrious. And I think there's kind of this coming back to some of those, those values. And I see that obviously in our food system too, coming back to where our food came from, knowing the story behind our ingredients, and being super intentional about what we put in our bodies. And I feel like it's this pervasive trend that's really happening across the industry. And so I think you know, upcycled foods can be a big part of that as well. People always think when founders start companies, they just snap their fingers and everything oh, yeah. is is just perfect, right? And there's so many challenges I know that come up along the way. You had mentioned that you had started with the cereal or you thought you were going to start with the cereal. What were some other challenges that you had in sort of creating the product? I mean, you talked a little bit few minutes ago about co-packers, but were there any, you know, big things that you thought, okay, well, that's not going to work. Let's, let's move forward and do something else. Yeah. I mean, 
the, you know, it is hard when you start with a why and you don't exactly know what the product is going to be, right? Like you're like, okay, here's the big vision. Here's the big mission. But now how do we attach a product that can make a statement about those values? So um, it was, yeah, it was a long journey. I mean, I started with baked goods first and I was targeting actually school food service managers. So I was going to LAUSD schools saying, what's your budget to buy breakfast and lunch? And I really thought I was going to create some baked goods that added nutrition, like better ingredients, you know, fiber from vegetables, all that good stuff, and put that into kids' breakfasts at schools. And I felt like that was going to be, you know, my entryway into the market and realized quickly, oh my gosh, they have like 80 cents to provide a kid's a full breakfast for a kid at LUSD or a dollar for lunch. And I was like, okay, so that's, you know, it, it felt like, when am I ever going to be able to, you know, meet those kinds of budgets. It's so little to work with. Right. And so I pivoted completely there. That was really the first pivot, which was probably like right when I got started. And then it was, you know, going into, okay, well, I could at least like sell baked goods or sell, you know, these baking mixes that were gluten-free and vegan made with like carrot flour or beet flour, but was always super frustrated by like the taste and texture was never there. And then of course pivoted into making, um, everything was raw dehydrated. So we had like a line of cereals, we had a line of crackers, the crackers were super green. It was like 80% greens with just some seeds and seasonings. And it was so gnarly. Like some of these creations were just so bad. And, you know, we'd sell them at farmer's markets and I would get real-time feedback from consumers who were like, you know, they were coming to visit me every week to see what kind of crazy stuff I was up to, this pulp girl. And they they gave me so much good feedback because they were like, you know, some people were super health oriented and they loved it. But I just realized I was like, if I really want to have an impact, I need to build a brand that's targeting kind of this issue again of nine and 10 Americans not eating their servings of fruits, vegetables and fiber. Like the people that I'm creating products for right now are already, they're already good. They already have access to healthy food. How do I make something that can go into, you know, the Kroger's of the world and the Walmart's of the world and be a product that sits on shelf and offers someone a better, a better nutritional value. Um, and you know, the sustainability story can kind of even be secondary to that in some ways. Um, and so that's really why, you know, we started creating more of these like compelling categories where I felt like veggie chips, that's a ubiquitous category in every store. Like we could really do something different here. I love it. That's such a great such a great such a journey journey i mean in in, in <laughs> sort of like i mean it just encompasses so much of what so many yeah. entrepreneurs like go through and and it really is kind yeah. of trial and error more than anything yeah. what you describe okay so you were on shark tank i would love to hear what your experience was it was so fun it was a crazy i mean if you think about it it's like you start the process january i started january of 2021 and didn't film until September of 2021. So already there, it was like nine months, right, of just work and preparation. And every stage of the way, you think you're going to get cut. Like, you literally are constantly teetering on the edge of, I don't know, like, this week, I thought things were went great. But then I talked to this person, and I feel like the they weren't really that inspired by my story or something. So you're constantly at this kind of limbo. And finally, after you film, I mean, it's like this feeling of, of course, euphoria being in there and just realizing, oh my gosh, it's a pinch me bucket list moment. I grew up watching Shark Tank. So I always knew I was like, I want to go on Shark Tank one day. If I'm, you know, if I'm going to start a business, like it's a bucket list item. Um, and then to actually film it. And then you're waiting, waiting, waiting to see when you're going to air. And we didn't air until May of this year. So May, 2022. So wow. it had been over a year long process, which is crazy. 
But my experience in the tank was so positive. The sharks were so, so kind. I know that they're working really hard to, to look at more um, you know, female founders, minority founder, founders, and bringing kind of that representation on screen. Um, plus, sustainability was a big boon for the sharks um, you know, last year, and I think it's continuing to be moving forward. And so it was just, I felt super supported by you know, the whole process, which was great. Did you see a bump in your sales after the show? Yes. I mean, it's not as crazy as it used to be. I think like 2014, 2015 was probably the height. Yeah. And then even the, the season that aired in 2020 or 2021, like I know a lot of the founders I talked to definitely saw a huge sp- spike because people were at home watching, but now we're streamer, we're streaming yeah. everything. So it's a little bit different. So I, I felt like, you know, I talked to entrepreneurs that had aired earlier and I, I know what the scale of like really the spike that they saw and the entrepreneurs that I talked to that had aired before me on this season you know, a lot of us were like, okay, you know, it's not as big as it used to be, but it still does have a massive impact. And I mean, for us, like the, we've re-aired once before too, and we've completely sold out of product both times, like where, you know, we've had really bad shipping delays and and things like that, because you never really know when you're going to air, when you're going to re-air, you don't have a ton of time to prepare. So it definitely still has a massive impact, but, um, but maybe just not what, what it used to be at the height. I love it. Very consistent with what other people have said. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so interesting. So what is the one thing that you would share with other entrepreneurs? This You're a first-time entrepreneur. Uh, yeah. You're trying new things, creating a new category as well, which I always share with uh, entrepreneurs that sometimes when you don't see any competition or much competition out there, you're in the early stages of creating a new category, which is twice as hard. Yeah. Uh, so kudos to you for taking that on. But anything else that you would share with entrepreneurs thinking back on your own journey? Yeah, I mean, I really feel like being intentional from the start about how you go about building. I'm so happy that I didn't take money from the begin- the get-go and that I really built it with grants, with save- like little savings here and there, with um, you know any resources that I could find because I had to figure so much out in the beginning to really, really understand more about my orientation in the industry. And, you know, I think, I think for me, starting small was really important. I know not every entrepreneur is going to start small, but I think starting small, like there are so many valuable lessons you learn from that. So don't be, you know, don't be eager to rush into things maybe is, is, would be my advice. I think really making sure that this is a a product and a passion of yours that you're going to be able to stick in, in, in the game long enough. Right. Because I've already been doing this for almost yeah, for like six years now yeah. where, you know, starting at farmer's market, starting with a cottage food kitchen, starting without any product line, really just trying to figure it out. And when I think about the journey, it's like every day I wake up still excited to do this because I'm super passionate about the long-term vision and the space that I'm building in. But I can't imagine if I had started and, you know, felt like things were going to happen overnight and, you know, got super frustrated by that process. I think it just takes a lot of patience, perseverance, and truly like as entrepreneurs, the amount of grit and perseverance that we have directly translates into, I think, building a successful business because ultimately like we are capable of so much as individuals, as business leaders that at the end of the day, as soon as we lose the passion, as soon as we lose the focus, that's kind of when things fall apart maybe. So I, I definitely feel, um, really strongly that people need to, you know, dip their toes in, get started with kind of the hard work to really make sure this is something they want to dedicate their time and energy to. And I feel like I learned so many valuable lessons by starting small 
but also starting with the end in mind of where I where I ultimately wanted to go. I love it. Well, it was such a pleasure to talk to you, Caitlin. And thanks so Thank much for so the great much. conversation and amazing lessons and tidbits that you shared with us. I really appreciate all of your time and all info to learn more about Pulp Pantry and you will be in the show notes of the podcast as well. So thank you for coming on and goodbye for now. Thank you, Kara. Thanks all for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And I want to thank all of our guests and our sponsors. And finally, our listeners, keep the great comments coming in. And one final plug, if you have not read or listened to my book, Undaunted, please do so. You will hear all about my journey, including founding, scaling, and building the company that I founded, Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.